This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, joining us now on Through the Ringer, you've seen her before, you know her. She is the great Nora Princiati, and uh, we're happy to have her back because we got to talk about the NFL season. And before we get into you know all the conversations about who should be starting, what's going to happen, how we forecast the future of the NFL, I just want to start here. What were your takeaways from the Hall of Fame game? Did, were you as were you as moved as everybody else, Nora? Did did you talk about it? Are you still thinking about it? Did it really you know kind of move the meter for you? Tate, I didn't watch the <laughs> Hall of Fame game. I know. That, that's let's, where I wanted to start. I don't think any honest. of us watched the Hall of Fame game. But but I did watch some clips of the Hall of Fame game. Good. Um, well, no, not a, I did watch some clips of the game, but that's not what I'm trying to talk about. I was moved by it. You know okay. what I was moved by was DeMarcus Ware singing the national anthem sort of that was as a, good. A, a tribute to Demarius Thomas. Really, really touching. And he sounded really good. He has a great voice. I like that, and I think that was actually a great takeaway from that game. But we are kind of in the, uh, you know, we're still in the dog the days of summer. Takeaway. Right, that, that, the only that, takeaway from the Hall of Fame game, and and you know singing uh, as we know through the Taylor Swift, uh, you know the, the the podcast that you have going on right now. So you know what good quality uh, performance is. You know what I mean. So Demarcus Ware, we see you tip of the cap. All respect here on through the ringer. Um, but we got more games. So we got games on Thursday night. We got Texans at Patriots. We got Vikings at Seahawks. Again, we're in the dog days of summer. It's preseason. As the years wane on, preseason is becoming less and less of a spectacle for people they don't really talk too much about it but I guess one of the news pegs we can talk about with these games is CJ Stroud will CJ Stroud start and what can we take away if he does start from a preseason game if anything well it seems like CJ Stroud might not just be kind of getting in position to start a preseason game but it, it seems like he is the pretty guy. clearly becoming the presumptive starter there which I find interesting for no other reason than they start with Baltimore. And mm. if I had a rookie coming in there and I had a guy like Davis Mills, who's not flashy by any means, not someone who you're wanting to tie the future of your franchise to, but showed that he can be solid and, and stable. And I was looking at week one dealing with the Ravens defense, which I mean, it kind of got lost amid all the chaos that that they were going through towards the end of last year and all the disappointments of that season and everything that was happening with Lamar Jackson that defense, particularly after Roquan Smith got kind of clicked into the mix there, was pretty feisty. Yeah. So the idea of just letting Stroud loose and having him start against those guys in week one um, is certainly eye-popping. They must be seeing something. 
And as we know with these highly drafted rookies, with very few exceptions, they start eventually. So it's a little bit less like, oh my goodness, what must this mean? It means that they they spent the draft pick on him, so he's going to play. But it just seems like they're making no attempt to kind of pretend anything might be otherwise. Um, And he's getting tons and tons of starters reps, and they're really playing him through training camp. And it looks like... In, in the preseason games, we'll see some of that um, in a way that would indicate that he's the guy. Yeah, it used to be like the Tyrod Taylor role, right? Where they'd always have a de facto mm-hmm. starter. They put in Tyrod Taylor. We're using him as the example right now. And then after, you know, week four, week five, after they've dealt with and figured out that it might not be their year, then they go to the rookie quarterback and give him, you know, kind of the, the baton, so to speak. So Davis Mills is our guy and CJ's got to earn that. And like Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're used to kind of that coach speak. But now we're at the point where it looks like CJ Stroud is the guy. So shout out to all the Buckeyes fans out there. Very exciting. He looks the part. <laughs> That'll be good. Um, on the flip side, we're going to be in New England. We're going to be seeing the Patriots. And um, there's a lot of conversation, obviously, after last year. You know, you've seen the scuttlebutt, people talking about Bill Belichick. Is it a Brady thing? All that sort of stuff. What is kind of the idea? What's a, what's a successful year look like for the Patriots and maybe more specifically for Bill Belichick? Oh, man. Well, here's That's a here's loaded the question, I know. <laughs> well, so here's the challenge. Is that the actual answer, I think, is a playoff win. That's the mm. thing that that Robert Kraft right keeps saying that he's really frustrated by the fact that they haven't had one since Super Bowl 53. And the pedigree that they've set there, what you expect from a Bill Belichick team, it involves a lot of playoff wins. And so I think that is kind of the the benchmark. The problem is I just don't know how they're going to get there even if they are considerably better than they were last year. I was down there last week and it was looking pretty good. Um, but the offense looked just functional in a way that it wasn't last year. They were they were repping some of the stuff, play action, the RPO game, letting Mac Jones audible, um, mm. which was an interesting thing to me, not so much because it it indicates trust, because it's not as though he wasn't allowed to make adjustments and they didn't think that he was ready for that. But particularly in camp, they spent a lot of last year just having to rep the same stuff and say that he wasn't allowed to make adjustments because they hadn't run the plays before. They were installing so much that they were saying to him, we don't know how to do this wide zone thing. So like you have to go up there and and run it how we're calling it because we just need the practice. Um, Whereas it just seems so much more like a normal offensive training camp practice. So that's all great. Right. And, and they've um, you know, that defense came off a, a great year last year. They should be gearing up for something even better. I mean, they got a situation contractually with Matt Judon squared away the other day. And and so I think a lot of things look really positive there. The question is just when you're in the division with the Bills, with the Jets now with Rodgers, with the Dolphins. Yep. Can you be a good team and still be fourth? And if you're fourth, even if you're above 500, the playoffs are no guarantee in the AFC. And then once you're there, who knows who you're going to be matched up against. It's hard to guarantee a, a win, obviously. If they go another season without that, we're probably hearing another round of Robert Kraft comments about wanting to get back to winning in the postseason, being really frustrated by that. So I think that they're in a pretty tough spot just because I think things could get a lot better relative to last year and they still might get over that hump. 
Yeah, and it's also interesting because you mentioned last year. Obviously, we all remember it was like uh, the Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, who's calling the plays, who's the offensive coordinator. You mentioned trying to install a whole system. And Mac Jones needing practice. Well, the the coordinators needed practice as well, it looked like, at least from the outside looking in. And we got a, a very, you know, tough situation, a very hairy situation. Not Nikhil Harry, but you know what I mean? A very, you know, sticky situation for everyone It's a very not Nikhil Harry situation. <laughs> very not Nikhil Harry. He's out of there. But I feel like every Patriots fan I talk to tries to bring up him getting drafted and that whole thing. You mentioned Judon. That's good news for everybody. Matthew Judon, he apparently is looking dominant in camp so far. That's a good takeaway. Mac Jones looks more comfortable. That's been a takeaway as well. But there's also some conversations, some rumblings about Dalvin Cook. Some interest there. Probably not going to be the case. But there's another guy I wanted to ask you about, Ezekiel Elliott. Is there a world in which Ezekiel Elliott gets into camp and is actually a positive contribution to this team? So is there a world? Yeah, totally. (laughs) There's always a world, right? There's always a world. Um, they did, they, they met with Dalvin cook. Now it seems like if anything, that's, that's either the jets or maybe he waits for there to be an injury somewhere. Um, Mm. it it seemed like all signs were pointing to him signing with the jets and then it's been a week and nothing's happened. So we'll have to see on that front. I I do think, look, I think there's some degree where they want to be a little bit careful because they have guys like Ramondre Stevenson who are homegrown players who have done a lot and, you know, taken a lot of punishment to that position. We've been talking a lot about just the strain of, of the running back position. And there's a little bit of sensitivity, I think in general around those guys. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the front office there, they are taking into consideration, just not upsetting any of the players who are already there, but they sniffed around Dalvin cook. Obviously Um, there's been some linkage with Elliot as well. I think the Cowboys have now started to talk a little bit about, well, you know, reunion's not out of the question. So I, I would put it as unlikely, but not impossible. And they also flirted, the Patriots flirted with the idea of bringing back Stephon Gilmore, and the Cowboys also got into that situation. So yeah. it seems like both these teams are kind of flirting with the same players and that, you know, you do this, we do this, and they're almost in their own uh, their own arms race against each other for some of these guys that are kind of, you know, above board and have some name recognition, right? It sounds good when you say to your fan base, hey, we brought in Ezekiel Elliott. You remember the golden days of when he was with the Cowboys, right? You can kind of sell that idea. But like you said, if we get in a position where Bill Belichick finishes in fourth again in the division, is there a world where we have, I'm going to keep using that phrase for us, but is there a world where Bill Belichick has some heat coming his way from Robert Kraft and the powers that be if it does go awry again? I don't really think so. Okay, that's fair. I just, I think there will be rounds and rounds of stories. I think if that happened, Kraft would make a few kind of spicy, maybe passive aggressive, if you want to call it that comments. I think we would talk our heads off about it. <laughs> I, I just, the more I think about it and I've been sort of thinking about it off and on for like three years now as, as the Patriots <laughs> have been going through it. I just, I, Robert Kraft is a sentimental guy. Bill Belichick does not necessarily feed that part of him. He's a, he's a grumpy Gus. He's a hard guy to work little, with. Little that cantankerous, way right? That's probably yeah, the best word for him. Just a little, him. just sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes he's got a little little bee in his bonnet. Um, but I, I don't think Robert Kraft wants to be the guy who fires Bill Belichick in New England. I think he is so sentimental about the dynasty there. Obviously, he had the most personal connection to Brady. But Brady, meanwhile, 
I don't know if you picked up on this a little bit, but Brady, for all of the talk about consternation and all of the conflict that led to his departure and existed between him and Bill Belichick over the years there, Brady has started to get really, really sentimental mm-hmm. recently when he talks about the Patriots days. Um, and I'm not saying that that has any bearing on on how Kraft feels, but I, I just think that those two kind of share that gene a little bit of getting warm and fuzzy about it. Um, I think if Jonathan Kraft were, were running the team, it would be a really serious conversation of will might Bill Belichick get fired. I, I, I could be totally wrong here, but I just have a really tough time seeing Robert Kraft. Yeah, year. and you don't want to be the person that gets rid of Bill Belichick, arguably the greatest coach ever, and then let's say he does go somewhere else and is successful and turns things around, and then everyone's saying, you're the guy that got rid of our Hall of Fame coach. You've already dealt with that once, you know, with losing a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he goes to a different franchise and wins a Super Bowl. So I think for the diehard Patriots fans, they do not want to see a day where Bill Belichick is kind of left, you know, hung out to dry by the ownership. And, you know, I was thinking, I did not watch the Hall of Fame game, but I did see clips. But then I, <laughs> my wheels started spinning a little bit about Bill Belichick. Is there a world in which, and I know I think it's a rule that you can't get inducted in the Hall of Fame while you're active, but is it, should we make a, a situation where Bill Belichick could get into the Hall of Fame while he's an active coach? I mean, it does feel like, um, you know, if there's anyone that could probably cross that threshold, it's him and Andy Reid, and maybe both those guys could do that. Okay, but Tate, you've maybe stumbled upon the one thing that could actually get the man fired. Because if you do not think that every passing year, Robert Kraft gets more and more and more concerned with his own Hall of Fame legacy. Mm. Jerry Jones getting in first was was one thing. If Bill yeah, that, that was step like, one. Yeah. <laughs> whew, whew, yeah. Get a little it's, spicy. Yeah, it's getting spicy. Get a little hot in here. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Let's pivot from the AFC for a second. Let's go to the NFC. Let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Then I want to talk about our guy, the Danimal, Dan Campbell. But we'll start with the Vikings. <laughs> um, love the Danimal. Uh, Jordan Addison, he comes in. He's replacing Adam Thielen. They waived Dalvin Cook. We talked about that situation. There were some conversations about you know how much he impacted their offense. We'll see what it looks like. Do you think Jordan Addison can be that essential cog kind of in that offense for the Vikings? And do we expect them to be a contender in the NFC North now? They will be so interesting to to watch because there's a version of that offense that could be really, really exciting, particularly mm-hmm. if Addison 
is able to sort of be a field stretcher, is able to be someone who takes some pressure off of Justin Jefferson. Um, they also, you know, they get they get Hawkinson more and more into the mix there, and it's starting to look like a really strong group of pass catchers. The question to me that's interesting, there's sort of two questions. One, with them moving away from, from Dalvin Cook, are they going to be m- even more of a pass friendly offense. I think that would be, that would be them leaning into their personnel in a good way. Right. But if they do that, will the quarterback take advantage of all of the space that in theory, if Addison gets up and running quickly, all of the space that could be created with, within that offense with him and Jefferson, because to me, when I think about it, the possibilities are endless and it could be really, really, really exciting. But we are talking about a quarterback and one who, you know, I think Kirk Cousins, I think Kirk Cousins has gotten incrementally like better it. and better and yeah. better. And dare dare I say likable, right? I mean, Kirk Cousins, he he had a bad Q score. He had a bad PR team working <laughs> for him. And then, and then all of a sudden he puts the chains on and, and he became a different guy quickly. And now it seems like, if anything, and even with the Netflix series, right? It feels like the narrative has turned in favor of Kirk Cousins. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it feels a little bit different these days. I have brought this up on, on multiple platforms at this point. When <laughs> I turned on quarterback... Maybe not the last thing I would have guessed, but <laughs> certainly not anywhere near the top of predictions I would have made for how the show started would have been Kirk Cousins quoting Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, right. Just, I mean, just perfect example. Yes. <laughs> I don't know that I will ever get over that. Um, but but here's the thing, right, is that one of the last images of Kirk Cousins we have is him throwing a check down on, what, third and eight? Yeah. So... <laughs> if they open up all that space, if if Kevin O'Connell gets everything cooking up the way that he sees it in his mind's eye, the next step is is the quarterback taking advantage of it. And again, I think Kirk's experience is actually really valuable at this point. Um, and he can be a, he's a really efficient player, but for them to actually be a contender. I think he would have to find a way to balance that with a little bit more explosiveness and a little bit more risk-taking in ways that don't just come from Justin Jefferson being Justin Jefferson. Because um, that'll get them pretty far. But given the the regression that we're expecting for them in just win-loss based on the number of close games they won last year, I think they would have to take a, a decent step forward to actually be viewed as taking a huge step forward and in that way it, it comes down to Kirk and dare I say Kirk Cousins is now the best quarterback in that division right I mean he, obviously Aaron Rodgers had been there for you know so long and he kind of held that mantle but now Kirk Cousins I mean you could argue uh, Jared Goff maybe Justin Fields whoever you you know you fancy but objectively Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback in the NFC North right now so that gives you a leg up amongst the rest of the teams that you're going up against head to head and one of those teams is the Detroit Lions and I mentioned him before the Motor City man himself, Dan Campbell. Um, America fell in love with him last year in Hard Knocks. He obviously, when he first got the job, was talking about biting kneecaps. He he is the king of quotes, and he's got a new quote. They, they asked him about the season tickets being sold out this year in Detroit, which is 
a great thing for all the Lions fans, the long-suffering Lions fans. And Dan Campbell was asked about the weight that he would feel because of that expectation. And he said, quote, I feel wind underneath my freaking wings, man. I do, I do not feel weight. I feel wind. Um, I thought that was an amazing response. I wanted to get your response to his response. Uh, weight versus wind. Do we feel good? Do we think that Dan Campbell and the Lions can take that next step? Dan Campbell is, is the wind beneath my wings. It's always, it's <laughs> right. It's just always a joy <laughs> to be dealing with the Lions, to be thinking about Dan Campbell, reading some Dan Campbell quotes. Um, I, I still view them as, like, I, I would pick them as the top team in that division. You're right to, to point out that Kirk probably is the more reliable quarterback. It's hard for me to to separate from some of the system stuff there. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity in the NFC. Um, I, I do like not to be, you know, Debbie Downer here, because again, I do think that the Lions um, should win that division. It will be an interesting year for them because he is so charismatic and they have definitely uh, the rebuild has gone forward in leaps and bounds so far. Um, but their draft was, was drew some criticism and now we're going into a season where I wonder if the expectations will be just a little higher where they actually have to do something. Otherwise the shine starts, starts to come off a little bit. I would hate mm. to see that happen because I just think Dan Campbell is such a joy. I think it's real. I think that's it's authentic. So to a certain extent, people see through that and and will continue to enjoy it because yeah, of that. It's... But you know, they got to win something. <laughs> yeah, you got to win something. And it is I think the fascinating football aspect of this team is that they had two guys last year in Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift and they together had 25 touchdowns, which Sounds like a pretty good duo in your backfield. They say, we're off these guys. Jamal Williams now with the Saints talking bad about beignets and how he doesn't like beignets and it's just funnel cake. But that's a whole different conversation. But they get David Montgomery. They get Gibbs in the draft. And then Dan Campbell, again, the the quote machine himself, he says that these guys are a quote-unquote two-headed monster and that he compared them to Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara back with the Saints, You know that that duo. So it's going to be new faces um, in an unfamiliar place. But if those two guys can have big seasons, does that really change the tone if they can have sort of a ground game even better than they had last year? It would go a long way. I think for them it's really about the defense just yeah. because that was that was what held them back last <laughs> yeah, year absolutely. and I think that's the side of the ball that needs to to make some real progress for them to be to kind of move from exciting upstart team to actual contender. And again, you can do that pretty quickly in the NFC right now. Um, and particularly in their division, I think the the path is totally open. But I I just think that they're going to have to get get some stops. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about another team in the NFC that I think that their quarterback slowly became America's sweetheart last year. Everyone fell in love with him. He's been around for a while. His name is Geno Smith. Um, and the Seahawks, I mean, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, excitement about the fact that they were so, you know, well off without Russell Wilson last year. You and I talked about Russell Wilson in future. We don't have to get into that again. Um, but from the Geno side, do we think that the Seahawks can surprise and shock the world again? Do we think that Geno can have another big year? I think he can totally have another big year. I mean, I think he can get better. It won't be as yeah. much of a surprise just because everybody sort of went through that 
last year. But it's easy, I think, to forget because he was so quickly effective there. And it was this thing that totally caught caught the league by surprise early on last season. It's easy to forget that this is his first real, true, full offseason, knowing that the job is his and being able to focus on that and know where he's going to be. That's a kind of stability that Geno Smith has basically never had. He tweeted about it a long time ago. I think like maybe right as the regular season was ending or the playoffs were ending or something like that last year and just was talking about how excited he was to have that kind of stability and how he thought that it would make him a much better player. Um, so I, I would expect him to to make significant strides. I don't know that it'll have the same like taking the league by storm thing. And I still think that they, they are going to have a tough bit of sledding because of how they match up with the 49ers in the division. But in general, yes, I think they can get even better. Yeah, and it's you know it's not too bad to be the second best team in the NFC West if things work out that way. And I think you make a great point uh, about Geno. I mean, you feel less like a mercenary. You feel like you have some security. The locker room obviously loves him. They they kind of the fact that the locker room had such an affinity for him. I feel like helped him get the job in the first place. Totally because it it felt like Drew Locke was maybe who ownership was trying to to push onto the team, and they said, no, our quarterback is Geno Smith, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for him, excited to see that. Um, it'll be a fun division race. Obviously, the 49ers are a favorite for a lot of people. We can talk about them at a later date. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I want to talk about another team in the NFC because this is personal to me. And about it, we talked about CJ Stroud at the top, but we got to talk about the number one pick, Bryce Young. He's expected mm-hmm. to be the starter. Um, the team has really bought into him being the starter. Brian Burns said he kind of changed uh, the way that they, uh, you know, approached the locker room as a team, which is a good thing to hear about a rookie. So, what are your expectations for Bryce Young, and what can we try to look for in his first year, and how do we not put too much on him too early? what to expect he's an outlier player like that, <laughs> that's is. the thing what if if i were a panthers fan what i would expect is that there's a really fascinating season upon you guys because mm. he's 510 and 200 pounds like we just we just don't get this a whole lot now i a lot of the questions there actually aren't really year one questions right because i think bryce young showed enough as a college player to tell us that you know, he didn't have a lot of tipped ball issues. It seems like he can see the middle of the field and pass the middle, middle of the field just fine. So in terms of the initial acclimation to the NFL, I, I do have high hopes because his college tape's really good and it doesn't seem like the height weight concerns show up on his film a ton. The question is just, 
can he can he stand up to the physical rigors and some of that is immediate right Mm. these guys are big that he's gonna be playing against more so that's over the course of two three four years an entire career um but there's a real element of mystery when you have a player enter the league who's really different from anyone who's been in that position before so I'm just really excited to watch it. I, in general, I think the Panthers are a really interesting team and a team with a lot of promise. But Young has a really wide spectrum of, of outcomes. Yeah, the, the defense is, is, is short up. I think the defense is going to be fine. It's probably going to be one of the better defenses in all of the NFL. But like you said, I saw a video from training camp. The offensive line stood up, Nora, and I could not see Bryce Young. <laughs> And then I saw them reset, and there he was. And I think that is why when even going into the draft, right, his only comparison, and we had it in the draft guide for the ringer, was Stephen Curry, which Stephen Curry does not play football. So he is so unique. He is such a um, an outlier. And also Panthers fans, the last time they had this number one pick, it happened to be a six foot six, 260-pound, um, you know, fullback, halfback, quarterback, you know, any back. You could you usually think. see Cam behind the line. Yeah, you could always see Cam, and he threw for 400 yards in his first game as a Panther, and I think the fans immediately said, okay, we have our quarterback. So it might be a different experience, but like you said, it, it'll be an intriguing experience at some level, and hopefully for Bryce, he can you know make some strides in the right direction, stay healthy, um, but it will be fun because the NFC South in general feels very open. I have to ask about that division just in general. Is there a team that you like? I mean, the Buccaneers have Baker Mayfield. The Falcons have some questions about Desmond Ritter. Um, the Panthers, obviously, you have a rookie number one pick quarterback. And then you have the New Orleans Saints with the Beignet banded himself, Jamal Williams. So um, is there is there any team in the NFC South that you say, I kind of like what they got going on because the division seems last year was a mess and it seems like it could be a mess again. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating group of quarterbacks. It's a really <laughs> interesting group of teams, right? Like I'm I am in I am. I am a Falcons enthusiast. I like it. I would say. I just think the way that they have sort of imported the Titans philosophy of just getting a bunch of big dudes and playing a different more old school style in a league that has gotten smaller at a lot of positions, has gotten faster and leaner and, and just digging when everybody else is zagging. I mostly just think it's a really interesting thing to watch. But now with just the sheer amount of talent they have at the skill positions, I think they will be a very fun offense at the very least. Um, if things click with Bryce Young, though, like it's completely not out of the, the realm of possibility that the Panthers would win that division. Yeah. And I think it, there's a fairly easy situation that could play out where he has a couple good games and they round into a team that looks like the favorites there just because I do think it is the most, if you sort of ignore some of the questions about, about the quarterback, which obviously is a big caveat, that is the most well-rounded roster. Mm. Um, and then the funny thing is like the bucks, the bucks were a tire fire and my least favorite team in the entire league to watch last year. It's not a bad list of players. <laughs> yeah, there's still so some talent like down in Tampa Bay, right? Talking you, you, yourself into anyone. 
Right. You have some whiplash, too, right? If you're a Buccaneers fan, you go from Tom Brady, the, the greatest quarterback of all time, to Baker Mayfield, who was a former number one pick. He had a nice little resurgence last year with the Rams for a little bit. So maybe Baker can find some magic down there. That, that That's its own uh, separate conversation. I did want to point out Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons. Um, great mustache right now. And that mustache and that confidence it's making me feel like Atlanta could be a team that would be in the mix. So I like that pick. And it leads me to my next question for you. What are your bold predictions for the 2023 NFL season? It can be, um, you know, DeMarcus Ware might sing another national anthem. I don't I don't know <laughs> what it may be um, in your arsenal. But what, what is a bold prediction that you're saying to yourself, I think this could happen this season? So I'll give you a couple. Um, Stephen Reese and I were talking about this on the Ringer NFL show the other day. So one is that I think we're going to have the first – 2000 yard receiving season in the regular mm. season just because it's time like we're, we're just building <laughs> to it now with the 17th game um justin jefferson i think would be my pick just because he's three years ago it was what like 1400 yards then it was 16 then it was 18 it just feels like he's building to it uh, the question there would be does addison take away some of the targets but i can also see a world in which he just opens the whole thing up for them um, I do think they may go away from the run game a little bit, as we talked about, in which case that could increase the volume. The other guy that Steven and I talked about was um, the last receiver to hit 2,000 receiving yards in a season, including postseason, which would not do it. But that is Cooper Cup, who mm. is now dealing with a little bit of a health situation. So we'll see how that pans out and if that affects any availability. The Rams are not in great shape roster-wise, obviously, but it's possible that works in his favor in the sense that he is just he's just the guy and he is the target basically down in and down out. Um, so those are the guys that we sort of talked about with that, but just the way the league has continued to head being more and more pass-friendly and then adding another game, it's going to happen eventually, so why not this year? And then the other one that I gave Steven was that I think Tom Brady might unretire. Yeah, I like that one. That's uh, my head's been there, you know, since he announced the second retirement. It does feel, um, especially when Tom Brady talks about the Miami Dolphins, he talks about them from it's it's like he has a like a reverence or, or you know he's like almost flirting with them, and we obviously know that they have um, in the past. And then also you have the Raiders, right? That's the other one with Jimmy G. Well, what team so would you expect him to come thing. back for? Yeah, please. Here's the thing with with Las Vegas is that. When the commander's sale was going through, part of that sale was that the league enacted a new rule that basically says if you are a player or an employee of a team, you may not have equity in the team. Um, some fuzzy edges to that that I don't totally get. <laughs> For instance, Jerry Jones is at least nominally an employee of the Cowboys, but he also owns them. Um so I guess you can get grandfathered in in that way. But if you work for a team, if you get hired by the team, they can't give you a chunk of the team as part of that agreement. And so most of the owners, as they're they're passing this through, are like, okay, yeah, whatever. Mark Davis is like, no, I don't want to do this because I'm trying to hire Tom Brady as an executive <laughs> slash team owner. <laughs> And as part of that agreement, I've told him that he can have all of this equity in the Raiders. Like, stop. You guys are, are messing up my plans. And the rest of the owners are like, tough. See They're like, later, we Mark know. Davis. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like, we, we don't care. We see it. Um, yes. 
And he was really upset about it. But the rule passed anyway, and now that's not an option for them. So I imagine that means that the Brady thing, in terms of being a part exec, part owner, is off the table. And if he's not an owner, that means that he could come back and play. And if he could come back and play and he can't do it, like all of it just seems to be circling. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo's health, like, come Mm. on. The two teams that you mentioned, which I agree with you, are the two teams where there's just so much smoke that there, at some point, seems like there might be fire around them grabbing Brady, the Dolphins and the Raiders. Both of them have quarterbacks with fairly precarious health situations. Absolutely. So I'm that, just that are connecting not, the dots. Yeah, right. And and obviously Tom Brady is a, you know tuned to what's happening in the league. He and it would honestly be kind of of a sick joke for Jimmy Garoppolo if Tom Brady comes out of retirement and then literally makes him the backup again. I if I was Jimmy Garoppolo's agent, um, I would be furious. But I think he and yeah, but- Tom Brady had the same agent, so I th- <laughs> so I think I think they, they actually won't matter at all. So I think it'll work out fine for everybody. But I like that. That's a bold prediction. Um, that's what we're here for. This you know for this show. That's what we want. We want bold predictions. And Tom Brady coming back would be great for everybody. Um, next question. Next big picture question for you what has been your favorite news out of nfl training camp so far it can be weird it can be wonky it can be you know uh, actually related to the football itself but what's something that came out and you're saying oh oh, that has my attention interesting i mean it's gotta be hackett gate hackett job whatever we're (laughs) calling it peyton versus hackett yeah it's a lot going on there the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, right. the, the latest. Just when you being, think it's over, it just keeps circling back around, right? There's more comments. It just keeps circling back. And we're in, I think they play in week five, so it's really not that far away. Rodgers jumping into the fray. Mm. Sean Payton apologizing. I mean, there's just, there's quite a bit of juice there. I think we're going to see some hard knocks covering it, maybe, hopefully. Um Please. That's starting soon. So that has been the most fun. I lo- like th- all of the little offshoots of that story are fascinating. Like there've been a bunch of reporters who have argued back and forth over. Did Sean Payton mean to do it? Like, is there intention behind everything he does? Is he playing three dimensional chess or like, did he just speak for off the cuff and, and step in it a little bit? That's been my favorite story. I think it's a lot of candor from Sean Payton. I think uh, he was also trying to, you know, just, I think, maybe make a little bit of a splash with his own team to say, we have a fall guy, right? It's nice when you have a fall guy, and they decided that the fall guy was going to be the head coach. Obviously, Russell Wilson and Hackett did not get along very well. Most people um, read the tea leaves and say that Hackett was probably brought to Denver with the idea that they were going to get Aaron Rodgers because of their relationship. Obviously, Russell Wilson is not Aaron Rodgers, so... There's a lot to dissect there. And then you throw in the fact that um, Aaron Rodgers did the the thing that always works in sports when you say you broke the code, right? As soon as you say someone breaks the code, um, we're all tuned in. We're all trying to figure out what the code is. We're all looking up our books to see, you know, what what page is this code on? Um, and he broke the coach's code, according to Aaron Rodgers. And then the drama ensues. So it's it's been great fodder. It's been great entertainment. And um, kudos to Aaron Rodgers, by the way. Quickly, we can just say that he goes to New York and immediately he's got big stories coming out. He's got hard knocks coming to town. Um, he. For as much as people said that he needed to be in a small market, it feels like Aaron Rodgers actually likes being in New York City. Am I right about that? Well, so first of all, I've I've been watching I've been um, rewatching season one of The Wire, and if we know mm. anything, it's that a man's got to have a coat. Yes, always. <laughs> Rodgers 
I have said my fair share of critical things of Aaron Rodgers, um, mostly related to his relationship with the scientific method. I will say one thing for the guy <laughs> that I that I absolutely mean from the heart. Aaron Rodgers seems like a really good friend. Aaron Rodgers seems like if you are his guy and he likes you and he cares about you, he will go out on a limb for you. He will protect you. He will defend you. He will get you signed to the Jets. And <laughs> He'll he get will, you a job. Yeah. He will call Sean Payton insecure on your behalf. Um, and friendship is really important. So credit where it's due. Aaron Rodgers seems like a good guy to have in your corner. And yeah, I mean, he's living it up. He's he's totally living it up. The games have not started yet, so we'll see what's in store there. But all of the reporting from camp there all has to do with he's so mentally advanced engaged. as far as just like right. he's engaged. He's making all the checks. He knows all the plays. Um, he's coaching the receivers. He's a coach on the field. Like all of the stuff that you would sort of expect if you sign Aaron Rodgers but he's checking all of those boxes and it seems like it's not just that he's really enjoying being here it does seem like the team is really enjoying having him there um, I'm, enjo- I'm enjoying the conversations around Aaron Rodgers being in New York and I like the honeymoon period I think it's good for everybody it's probably good for Rodgers With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to now flip it and talk about the opposite of a honeymoon period. It feels like more, you know, akin to a divorce at this point. And that is, of course, you know, Jonathan Taylor versus the Colts. Um, There has been a lot of tweeting. There's been a lot of quotes and comments and, you know, owners, you know, chiming in with his thoughts. You got Ryan Poles now chiming in with his thoughts. They signed Kenyon Drake, which, you know, you, you kind of can, you know, see that they're saying we've found another running back at this point. How, how do we sift through this whole Jonathan Taylor controversy at this point? I, it's pretty bad. It's bad. It's bad. Um, <laughs> I think it's bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, if all of these situations are different, right? And and um, I think there's... Uh, they look unserious about winning at this point. You know what I mean? If you're a Colts fan and you see this whole thing playing out, you're saying, why are why are we doing this? And then... Also, your owner is saving a whale for $20 million, and that's also in the news, right? So there's 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 money around. There, there's always money in the banana stand. Right, there, there's right. money or for a the, whale, but not for our running back. It seems very strange. Or in strange. The, luxury, the luxury tour bus or whatever it was. <laughs> right, um, right. Well, so that's the thing. You said that they seem unserious about winning. There was a headline in the, the Indy Star um, today, maybe or yesterday, very recently, that was basically the same thing. It said it was something like Colts don't seem like they're serious about winning this year. And I, I'm curious to see if that ends up being a dominant enough story in the media to make 
a difference and put some pressure on the team. Normally, I would say that that stuff doesn't really matter because I think front offices are generally pretty adept at just ignoring it and doing whatever they want to do. I don't know that owners are, though. And Mm. this situation so clearly involves Jim Irsay and was so clearly, you know, made worse than it already was by him going on and being like, basically, doesn't matter who's on the team, doesn't matter who lives or dies, like Colts football goes on. I'm obviously Yeah, he's basically like, we're all going to be forgotten when we die. It was very nihilistic of him. but It was a little bit of like metal (laughs) Kyle Shanahan. We could all be dead by next week. (laughs) But it was specifically pointed at the star running back of his team, who I'm sure if you're Chris Ballard, you're going like, oh my gosh, I really planned on having Jonathan Taylor hopefully have a bounce back season this year. Um, he's still important enough to the team where I would think that they would try to come to some sort of agreement, just something that, that can at least make him happy. Um, but that one is not as, as clear cut as I would say, even like Josh Jacobs still not with the Raiders. But the thing is that to me follows a very like linear sort of path of how I think it'll play out because right now, because he hasn't signed, he's not getting fined. As soon as the season starts, he would start getting like losing massive amounts of money for for holding out. So maybe, you know, there's there's some uncertainty in will they give him a little something to make him happy or whatever. But Josh Jacobs, I would say 90 with 95 percent certainty will come back and make 10 million dollars and play for the Raiders and feel good about having gotten training camp off. But. Or maybe it'll be a little sooner than that and they'll give him a little more money to to make that happen or whatever. But like essentially that feels very rational. It feels like everybody doing things that are in their clear interest. Same with Jonathan Taylor has just gotten like there's just too many feelings. It's too personal. There's too much weirdness to to make it totally make sense. Yeah, and is there a world, like you, you said, probably the reality is Josh Jacobs will go back to, to Las Vegas, play with the Raiders. Um, they won't have to rescind the tag for him. Um, but is there like a team like the Chiefs or the Broncos? Is there a team out there that makes sense if they get Josh Jacobs into the fold for them, that it takes them to the next level where, you know, if you're a contender for a Super Bowl, you get a guy who can come in and produce to that level. Now, now you're the favorite to win the Super Bowl all of a sudden. As as a trade, or if the Raiders rescinded the tag, uh, if they rescind or trade, like what is there a world in which Josh Jacobs does suit up somewhere else? I guess is the easiest way to put it. I, I don't. I just I have a hard time seeing that, just because I don't think that I don't think that he's getting so. Those teams, like the Broncos or the Chiefs, would not pay the tag number for him. Mm-hmm. So it would either have to be a trade agreement with enough compensation. So that maybe the the Raiders would eat some of it, um, which feels like a hard place to get to this late in in the game, or they would have to rescind the tag, which I just find really really unlikely, because he matters to that offense, and especially with what they're going through with Jimmy, who not only has the health situation but has been throwing a lot of interceptions at camp. You need a running game there. Mm. So uh, I have a hard time putting together the situation where he is valuable enough to one of those other teams for them to pay what would make it worthwhile or for the situation to get bad enough where the the Raiders would just rescind the tag. 
Yeah, it does feel like uh, the only way that that makes any sense is if Tom Brady's going to come back and play quarterback and then throw the ball. So, uh, Or maybe that's your pitch to Josh Jacobs, that you could be playing with Tom Brady. And he says, you know what, I'll just sign the tag and I'll come back and I'll play with you guys and yeah. uh, the rest will be history. Do we think that this drama with the running backs, obviously Saquon was kind of the the big storyline here, but I mean Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel, all these guys. Do we think that the conversation about the quote unquote disrespect of the position will drag on into the season, and we're going to have even more of these conversations? Like it does feel like we're, it almost feels like the running backs are going to have to form a union or something. I mean, you know what I mean? It does feel like the the, the drama is just continuing, and it feels like it's adding up over and over. I think we will hear less about it during the season and then during the actual quite games, a bit yeah. about it next off season. Mm. Um, one, because I mean, every single one of these guys who got tagged, right, where they didn't come to a long term agreement, we're just going to be back at it next year. And there are going to be, I think, larger conversations when that happens because this experience will have sort of prompted some thinking and maybe a little bit of organization. I mean, I am skeptical about the potential for something like a running back union to come together. But if something like that is going to happen, if there are going to be more Zoom calls, right, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for those guys to sort of set that stuff up ahead of next offseason and ahead of the tag deadlines and, and all of those benchmarks. So I think that we will hear a little bit about it during the regular season in the sense that I think one of the interesting storylines to follow throughout the league will be the role of the running game. Um, and if that pendulum is maybe swinging back a little bit, which is a related but not identical issue. And then next offseason, I think we will be talking about running backs all the time. Yeah. I, I think I think you're spot on there, and uh, we do talk about running backs uh, when there's drama and this is happening. But we always talk about quarterbacks, so I do have to ask you our last NFL thing: Joe Burrow. Um, obviously, th that was a tough situation. You hate to see injuries. Joe Burrow. Um, you know, even his. You know, Jamar Chase was talking about he doesn't even know who Pat Mahomes is. There, there's only the, there's only one quarterback that's the best quarterback, right? There's all all those conversations going into the season. How impacted are the Bengals, and, and how much are we kind of waiting? on pins and needles to figure out how, you know, w when will Joe Burrow be back to being Joe Burrow is, I guess, the bigger question. And, and how much are we watching that as it develops over time? Like crazy. I mean, right. it's it's the biggest, I think that's the biggest sort of... It's the biggest question mark we have, question right? Question mark in the going sport. into the season. Yep. Particularly because, you know, that, that type of calf thing can really linger. It's mm -hmm. the type of thing that can get re-aggravated really easily. So... You know, can they handle missing Joe Burrow for a game or two? Totally. Can they handle Joe Burrow being not at his best for a significant portion of the season or it just being something that lingers and, and is always up in the air? That's 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 a yikes moment. Um, and in a in a conference where 
the competition is so fierce because of all those great quarterbacks and because the AFC is just so stacked, there is not a lot of room for error. So I, if I were there, I would be nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous uh, for all the Bengals fans out there, but I hope that uh, Joe Burrow comes back, proves us all wrong, gets back to 100%. That's all I'm we can hope for. I'm also just sad. Like, Joe Burrow yeah, is right. the coolest person in the NFL. <laughs> and, and, and I Joe want Burrow him to be healthy cool. so that he can be, like, around and wearing Cartier sunglasses. Right, and just having a great time, and uh, that's that's all that we want here. We want people to stay healthy, of course. One last thing, Nora, before I let you go. I know I've just been throwing out NFL topics at you, but this has been happening in real time. In case you missed it, uh, college football is dominating a conference realignment at the college level. Um, the Pac-12 is now the Pac-4 at this point, um, based on all reports. Um, the Big 12, the Big 10, their poaching teams. Now there's four teams left, Cal, Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State. Um, just the, as you're watching this, obviously at the pro level, you know the, the feeder system into the NFL is obviously college football. How much impact is this going to have on the NFL, if any? And what was your big takeaway seeing all this from you know the, the pro level and just seeing the chaos that's happening on, uh, on the college level? Well, I do think because, and and you follow this so much more closely than, than I do, but because with so much of the realignment, the SEC has been mostly like, it seems like they are, are sort of stable and consistent and keep chugging along um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, I, I've never asked anybody this question, but they are so like those schools, you know, particularly Georgia, Alabama, like they're just so dominant as feeder pipelines to the NFL right now. And I wonder if there's anything to be said for just the consistency of scouts getting down there and having the same people and like all of the logistics being consistent. It has so much to do with just the kids who go to those programs and and the pipeline that like, it's hard for me to see that being a one-to-one and largely at least up to this point, the population of like the feeder system for the NFL is great. They're doing just fine um, with college football, at least as it is right now, but it will be interesting to see because you hear so much from coaches about the lead up into the draft and the draft process about relationships really, really, really mattering. And whenever there's sort of like upheaval and change, people always change roles. And and some of that, um, I think, does go through the spin cycle a little bit. So maybe maybe there's a little bit of an influence there. But that would, that would be an interesting thing to, to look into a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of wild. We're getting to the world where it's just probably going to be two or three super conferences where there's 20 member schools. They're 3,000 miles apart. Um, it's quicker to fly to London than it is to fly from you know Rutgers to Oregon. Um, yet that's going to be a, a regular thing that's going to be happening in, in this theoretical Big Ten that we're going to exist in. And there's also a world you know with the Pac-4 um, that is, exists right now. I mean, there's a world in which Cal might say, we don't even want to have sports anymore. We might just get rid of our athletic department as a whole and just be an academic institution with no sports teams. That's how crazy and warp the reality is in college sports right now. So the landscape is a mess. Um, like you mentioned with the SEC, there's more movement to come and and nobody knows what's going to happen. So it's just we're all just kind of watching back and and watching the, the building explode, so to speak. There's also like it's I mean, this is totally a, a separate 
from the way that we've been having this conversation, but there are broader conversations in academia, right, about the value of prioritizing sports the way that they do and how that influences who you admit to colleges, right? There was just that big study about um, how like financial privilege influences who gets into the Ivies and really elite schools. But there's some analogous effect at like big sports schools or there are some, you know, Duke, Stanford, like schools that are incredibly good sports schools also fall into that group as well. Um, so it, it there are so many different like entry points for change and it is a fascinating thing because like I don't really follow college football very closely, but I follow it as as the NFL sees it. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, like that's just been a really, really, really steady thing for them. They haven't made in a lot of ways because they don't have it's to pay st- for their it's own farm system. It's a steady stream. They're, they're just bears just, they're and just they wait right for there. the salmon. Yeah. And for all that we talk about the differences in the games, like the players arrive well coached generally ready for the types of of environments that they're going to be into and you know weight trained strength and conditioning like all of that stuff they're they're pretty ready to enter the pros without the nfl really having to spend a dime so if generally speaking i don't think the league is a is a huge fan of change at the college level because the system works so well for them yeah there might honestly the these teams and these programs and these schools they may need someone like an NFL to kind of interject themselves. And honestly, Rick Pitino had the best idea that I've heard. I mean, we've talked about it um, before, but Rick Pitino was like, let these football teams make their own conference. The football teams play in this super conference, and then everybody else stays in their regional conferences. And that makes it so the field hockey team doesn't have to fly from Eugene, you know, all the way to, yeah. to Piscataway, New Jersey, right? I mean, that that is that does not make much sense logistically. And the poor field hockey players and all the Olympic sports teams i mean they're gonna be the, well they have to the, go to piscataway so <laughs> you gotta go to piscataway so it's gonna be a long trip for everybody um it doesn't make much sense uh but you know that that's the world that we live in the the new era the new landscape all that sort of stuff um nora thanks so much for coming on the show for breaking down some of these nfl topics we really appreciate it um we'll have you back on as we get closer to the season training camp you know as it unveils and rolls out um yet again i want you to plug all the stuff that you're doing on the ringer.com and the podcast space and all that sort of stuff and then we'll let everybody get out of here and take a breath and maybe go you know read about Aaron Rodgers and what he's got going on with Hard Knocks well first of all Tate thank you so much for having me (laughs) I'm laughing because the last time that I was on with you I made this whole thing about like I just moved and we were going to decorate my office (laughs) still a blank wall behind me so I'm I'm looking forward to the next time we're back like it's just going to keep I'm just never going to do it or someday I will and it'll be so triumphant um I, I am. You can hear me on the Ringer NFL show with Stephen Ruiz. We're doing yep. a lot of great stuff through training camp. On every single album with Nathan Hubbard, we have our last installment of our Summer of Taylor series coming next week. And I've also had a lot of fun over the last week being part of our 20th anniversary of the OC coverage. So that's I great. wrote a story about the soundtrack that's on the ringer.com and have a podcast with Jody Walker on ringer dish feed as well as uh an episode of the prestige tv podcast with joanna robinson and juliette Littman. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, you're everywhere. Lots of good uh, stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Go sift through that. Go read all that. Go listen to all that. It's all good stuff. North, thanks so much for coming on Through the Ringer, and we will have you back as we get closer to the season. And who knows? Maybe next time you got like at least I'll give you this Muggsy Bogues jersey to put behind you. Who knows? We'll, <laughs> we'll figure out something. Thanks, Nora. Hold you to do that. Bye, Tate.